0: With the help of God and a community of dads helping each other on their journey, you can be the leader your family deserves. We welcome you to the Journey of the Christian Dad Podcast. Want to homeschool, but worried about your child's socialization? Classical Conversations believes education is best experienced together. That's why Classical Conversations provides homeschool families with local communities for opportunities for socialization, support, and encouragement. In community, a trained licensed director guides both students and parents alike through a proven Christ-centered curriculum rooted in the classical model. To find a Classical Conversations community near you, visit classicalconversations.com slash dadjourney. And now back to the show. All right, guys, welcome back. This is part two of the R.A. Dickey episode. So R.A. was so engaging. He's so funny. Uh, I can't wait for you guys to listen to this one. Shoot me any comments you got over to the Christian Dad podcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear what you guys think about this episode, what you heard about part one, and then what you thought about part two. So we're going to dive into, of course, some more baseball, but we're going to dive into some husband and wife stuff. We're going to dive into um, some possible death scenarios. We're going to dive into the Holy Spirit working through RA and helping things that uh, appear bleak turn into positives. And then RA shares something super, super uh, important to him these days. He's uh, real big into uh, helping sex trafficking and helping, uh, kids stay out of that and help protect kids and help rescue and save them. So I think he's responsible for over 63 lives. So you're going to talk about that towards the end. And, uh, guys, I can't wait for you to dive into this one and check out the challenge towards the end. And then also check out, um, little, little, uh, What RA talks about. I've got something local you can do, something you can do right now to take action to help. So, all right, enjoy this episode and uh, shoot me any feedback you have and throw up those uh, Apple podcast reviews. Got one this week. So, thank you so much for sending that in. Catch you guys later. And at some point, you consider taking your own life and God gave you a message instead of.
1: Yeah, absolutely you know, like just like that time in the office with Buck and Oral where I I want to let my ego get in the way. And there's, you know, been four or five times in my 48 years of living where I I really felt like, you know, God audibly was saying something in my spirit where I could hear it so clearly that there was no mistaking it. And like in that office was one time in this time I was, it was around the same time was actually right before that pastor showed up, right? Like the pastor of my church showed up. I was in the, the carport of, of that house. And, I had physically already, you know, uh, made up the contraption where the, the hose pipe was going from the muffler right into the driver's side window. And I had a towel stuffed, out, stu- stuffed in the crack and I was about to just go ahead and fall asleep. I just, I couldn't, I was weary. I was very, very weary, um, and tired and knew I had disappointed people. And I felt that like a disappointment because it was in that time of my career where I was in between knuckleball. I was in between conventional guy and knuckleball. And I just was failing and failing and failing. And just, you know, one of those times where my hands were like this still, you know, maybe like this, but certainly not like this. Right. I was still wrapped up in that so much. And I had my hand on the key and I was like, Lord, just take care of my family. And as I was starting to turn the, the, the car, I just, I really felt God des- like d- dissolve me. I felt like a puddle and I felt like a, like a physical weight on me and saying, Hey man, do not do it. I've got something else for you. Do not do it. Like, that's all that, those words were it. Like, that's what I heard. And so as I was turning, I mean, I might've started the car and then shut it off. Um, And it was two days later when, when Carter Crenshaw the pastor of my church showed up at my doorstep and we started walking together. And so that was a real, you know, tough time in my life. But at the same time it was, it had to happen that way. Like for me, it had to happen that way. It had to be that, it had to be that intense for it to wake me up, to get to the end of myself. So I could be rebuilt as a, a man who uh, really chased after God's heart.
0: Yeah. Know? There's, there's something more. There's something more. Yeah,
1: There's something else. I've got something else for you. have got He's something else for you. And that was it. You know, it wasn't like, he didn't tell me what it was. He didn't say, Hey man, I've got a great marriage on the other side of this. Hey, I've got a Cy Young on the other side of this. Hey, I've got you being a great father on the other side of this. It wasn't anything like that. It was just, I got something else. And so, he met me in that space, but still left a lot for me to have to come into. Um, and that's what he does a lot, right? Like he gets to you and he grabs you and says, I got something else. I'm not going to tell you what that is, but you got to trust me and here's your opportunity. And I want it. And I took that opportunity, thankfully, you know, um, without any promises from him, other than this was not all there was, man, for you and God. I mean, like I get emotional talking about it because it was so intense, but he, uh, You know, he just saved me again and again and again. You
0: know, that was so awesome. I loved hearing that story. And I was like shocked and couldn't believe it. You know, a guy, good Christian guy. Oh, yeah. People around, pastor around, and still somehow that weariness overtook.
1: Yeah. And the, and the enemy, man, he's always at work. Like he, he knew he, he knows what buttons to push for me. And, and the more I become self-aware through scripture and, and like really knowing myself, uh, you know, the better I am at being equipped, uh, to put on the full armor of God, you know, like I always want that on me, but there are inevitably times when, you know, my breastplate drops off or my shield falls. Right. And, He's on the he's on the move, man. And like when you start to see through that lens of you are in a real spiritual war, like spiritual warfare is real. There's a fight going on for my spirit and soul, and you know it's uh, it puts things in a whole different perspective. Um, and for me, it, it it's helpful because I'm a competitor, and I like I like thinking that I'm in a fight. Yes. Right. If if, if I know I'm in a fight, then that rings true for me, um, and I need to put on the weapons that I have and attack like counterattack, and there are plenty of ways for me to counterattack by telling the truth, by getting in scripture, by being vulnerable, by saying, I'm sorry, by taking my ego out of things. There's so many ways, like I I have a list and lists of them. And so those are the things that I've tried to cling to, uh, you know, over the last, that was probably midway between 2006 and 2007. And so for the last, you know, 16 years, that's, that's kind of what I've tried to do.
0: That's fantastic. You were talking about your wife right when we jumped on. I'm like, oh, that's so awesome. I love guys that just honor their wife and you can feel the love and how they cherish their wife. And then I hear how your wife just ultimately believes in you. And then I believe it was a teammate calls your wife and says, Hey, uh, our aide decided he's going to swim the Missouri river.
1: Jeez, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So that was, that was at, at the beginning of this journey to this knuckleball journey. Oh, and another another and
0: and I think you should know. I I think it's super dumb. I think this is super dumb.
1: His name was Chris Barnwell. He was one of my best friends (laughs) on the and and I I had after the two thousand six uh season with the Texas Rangers, which was my last, um, it was the same year that I had made the the major league club uh It was after, it was one year after I'd made the major league club with the Texas Rangers in 06 and tied a modern day major league record for most home runs given up in a a game. And so I was, I'd made it back up to the major leagues with my knuckleball. And I'm thinking, oh God, we're going to do it this time. Great. I get out there against the Detroit Tigers and they hit six home runs and three in Three and the third innings on me. And I tie a modern day major league record for most home runs, giving up a, in a game. And they sent me down the next day. And that was my last major league game with the Texas Rangers. I went down to AAA, kept grinding on the knuckleball, kept grinding, kept grinding. And then in 07, I got signed with the Milwaukee Brewers. It was my only offer the whole offseason. And the Milwaukee Brewers minor league AAA affiliate is in Nashville, Tennessee, which is where I live. And that was another God moment, man. Like letting me work on my marriage, letting me work on my craft, getting to be with my family, you know, getting to go to counseling with my wife, like getting to, you know, try to figure things out. Like he made it, he made it perfect for that. Wow. But over here vocationally, I was still struggling. Like I made the team, the triple A team in Nashville out of camp. And I was there and just, I was probably a couple of days from being released. Cause I was really bad. I was like one in four with like a, like a seven or eight ERA. It was really bad. And so I thought any day now they're going to release me and that'll be the end of my baseball career and I'll have to be okay with that. But it was still painful, right? Like I was I was going through all these scenarios in my mind, like, what am I going to do? What am I going to be? You know, like, okay, God, if this has been the extent of your journey in baseball for me, okay, I know you're going to provide something else, but it's still painful and I need to grieve it and all that. And part of my grieving process that is was toxic was, you know, I still was hanging on to, to want to be somebody like, I still like, I want to leave my mark somehow. Right. And so every year we would play the Omaha Royals and we would stay at this casino hotel, right. um, On the bank of the Missouri river. And every year we would go like, we would play them three or four times and would go up the elevator and it would overlook the Missouri river. And I would always think to myself, "I bet I could swim across that river. Okay. And, I would say that to my friends and they would say, you're an idiot, right? Like you can't, nobody's swimming across that. You're an idiot. Well, it was this time in my career when I was like one and four, right? I thought it was going to be released. It was, it may have been my last time there. And I thought I'm going to do it. I'm going to wake up in the morning before our game starts and I'm going to try to swim across it. And all of a sudden that spread through the team like wildfire. And everybody was like, no, you're not doing that. And I said, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Be be there. Like bring the video camera. I'm going to do it and I'm going to make it. And y'all are going to see. Like I was still wanting to be somebody, right? Like still that piece of me that, that wanted to be known for what he did, um, you know, in baseball or some other way was still there. And I showed up the next morning. I had, I had taped flip-flops from the convenience store downstairs onto my feet. Cause it was rocky on the bank and didn't want to cut the bottom of my foot. Um, and so headed you off. You
0: swam with those flip-flops?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They were duct tape. I had duct. I bought duct tape and flip-flops because, I thought, well, maybe there'll be like a little, like a little fin or something, you know? Well, <laughs> I get out there and, you know, Barnwell, Chris Barnwell called my my wife as I was getting in. And my wife said, Hey, look, we've been through a lot. He's a grown man. He knows what he can handle and what he can't. So <laughs> call me after. <laughs> I and mean, she's like, Hey, you know, he's going to do what he's going to do. And so I pushed off, man, and started swimming across that thing. Well, you know, I little did I know two things. One, it was one of the fastest moving rivers in our country. And two is it's one of the dirtiest rivers in our country, if not the dirtiest. So I'm, I'm just hauling out there. And I was a pretty good swimmer. I'd grown up swimming. I get about what I thought was a quarter way up. And all of a sudden I look back and my, my, my teammates are, you know, 200 yards down that way. Right. Like, cause the current's just taking me. And, and it's a, it, the expanse of the river was really, it was really a lot. I mean, I was so stupid, but anyway, I get out there and I think, "Oh man, I think I could still make it." But I hadn't yet gotten into the to the to the significant part of the current yet. so I'm I'm swimming and swimming. I'm closer to shore, like it's that big, it's that wide across, and I get about probably I'd say really like right under half, and I just had my head down swimming, and it felt like an eternity to get there. There was a buoy out there that I was aiming for, and you know, I come up for just a a breath to kind of dog paddle and see. And all of a sudden I'm in the, the thick of the current. I look down and I can, I can barely see my teammates. They're really small. And I see this one guy running across along the shore with me. Um That's well, he's just coming my way. And I mean, he's scurrying and it was a guy named Grant Balfour who had some time in the major leagues yeah. too, and we played together in uh, Milwaukee. And he was from Australia and he knew what it looked like for somebody to drown. I mean, like he knew he'd grown up in the ocean and, mm-hmm tides and currents and all that and so he recognized that i was in trouble probably so i get out there and i'm thinking oh lord i i I have a choice to make right now it's either push through try to get to the other side of the current or turn around and go back and i was starting to feel lactic acid building up in my joints and i was getting tired and meanwhile the current it wasn't a current this way as much as it was like at an angle so it was pulling me down and the water was getting trapped in between my foot and my flip flop. And it was starting to pull me under really hard. So it was a lot to, to stay above water. And I thought I got to turn around. And that was another God moment, right? Like if I would have pushed through, we wouldn't be talking. I would have drowned. So I, you know, I thought, man, I just, I got to turn around. I got to turn around self preservation, you know, fight or flight. I was fighting and I was flighting. I was going back and I turned around and started making it, but there, there was no guarantee I could get back to the shore. Uh, because the current at this point, it had pushed me so far down. Like I could see my friend running alongside me still, but I was like, I was gaining in distance on him. Like he wasn't catching up. So I started to swim as much as I could back to shore, got out of the thickness of the current, but there was still a little current. I was still way down and I could see the, I could see the shore, but I couldn't, I couldn't, uh, I didn't think I could get there. I really didn't. I thought this is it. I started making peace with myself and it got so bad where I would go underwater and try to swim underwater, come up for a breath and go back underwater and swim underwater and being pulled down, pulled down, didn't know how deep it was or anything like that. But as I was doing that, I was getting a little bit closer to shore. I finally, I saw a, it looked like a dog, like a dog food factory or something, but it had a long cylinder arm that jetted out into, into the river where it would probably dump its contaminants, I'm sure. but. I thought maybe I could make it to that, but probably not. So I started kind of doing it. And then I'll never forget I got about twenty five yards from shore and just my, my body stopped. And I just started sinking and
0: twenty five yards. It's the finish line. It's right yeah, there. I
1: mean, it's right there. It wasn't very far at all, especially how much I swam. But you gotta remember I've been i have been out yeah. there for Oh a, yeah. Yeah.
0: I I've done thought, some endurance runs and I had the lactic acid over the oh, summer and yeah, it was hundred and five like, degrees. Yeah, I know exactly so what you're talking about.
1: Just started sinking. I thought, I'm going to make this quick. I'm just going to take in water in my mouth. And, you know, I'll never forget this sensation I wrote about it in the book, like weeping underwater. Like that's a weird sensation, you know, to, to be crying under underwater. And I remember that real, because I w- I thought I'm never going to see my kids again. What an idiot. What a, what a really yeah. stupid thing to do. And I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And I was, I just remember sinking and with my last breath. And as I was about to open my mouth and take in a bunch of water to try to end it. Uh, my feet, my feet hit the 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 clay bottom of the river. And I thought, oh my God, I'm, I, I might not be, I might only be like 10 or 12 feet down. And so with my, uh, I felt the shot of adrenaline and I pushed up and like swept my arms this way and was able to get to the surface. And I just kind of bounced along the bottom until I got to close to the side where this arm was coming out. And Grant Balfour had made his way to me. Uh, somehow. And he was clon—he was shimmied out kind of on that arm. And he had his, his hand was reached out. And I pushed up one time and just reached my hand up and he caught it and dragged me to shore. And that was the Missouri River story. And after I left the Missouri, I went in the Missouri River, one in four, with like a 70 RA. And this was in 2007 with the Milwaukee Brewers, AAA affiliate. And when I got out of the river, I remember just thinking, God, I'm so sorry. What an idiot. I'm so sorry. I will not like I've learned my lesson. This is ridiculous. I'm so stupid, and I was apologizing to my, thinking about the apology to my wife. Like she, she had no idea how close to death I was, and yeah. all this stuff. And um, from then on, I, I was so tired, and I went in with white underwear and a white tank top. And when I got out, both of those things were black. That's how dirty that river was. Like, I mean, who knows? I thought I was be, like growing an ear out of my cheek or something. When I, you know, a couple of days later. But I, I was exhausted physically. And wouldn't you know it, that night, I got in the game. No way. An, Yeah. I thought there's no – like I was late to the field. I was tired. And, you know, the coaches knew what had happened. They were like, you're an idiot. What are you doing? <laughs> and I think, they, I think they put me in the game just on for On purpose. Spice. Oh, yeah. For yeah. And so I got in the game just completely exhausted. Ended up throwing three scoreless, hitless innings. Got a spot start the next time and then didn't come out of the rotation the rest of the year and ended up being the PCL pitcher of the year. So I went in at one and four with like a seven ERA. At the end of the year, I was 11. My last, I ran off a streak of 11 and two with like a 2.6 ERA and ended up winning the PCL pitcher of the year after the Missouri river. And that was kind of the springboard into the rest of my career really was just this ultimate surrender to God, I'm finished trying to get in the way of, of what you have planned. I'm so sorry, you know, like, and so my my career was constantly this balance between being open handed and wanting to cling and being open handed and wanting to cling. And and so that was the story of the Missouri. Yeah.
0: I had a similar uh drowning experience. I was going over these waterfalls and family, you know, extended family and all this. And it was in a flood stage thing and place called oh. Johnson Shut ins, but we yeah. didn't know it was flood stage. Oh yeah, 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 and the current and all the stuff, and I'd gone over probably seven, eight, nine, twelve waterfalls, and the waterfall pushes you down, so you can't swim up. You got to swim diagonal out, but you can't get diagonal out until you hit the bottom and push off and get some momentum. Oh, and finally, serious. I was like, "I'm done, I'm done. I I can't do yeah. this anymore." And popped up, and I got one last breath. I said, oh, "Thank you, God." I said, "God, though, if there's one more, I'm done. God, yeah. God, i do not in me anymore. Like I'm, exhausted. yeah, I know the feeling." <laughs> and it was peaceful.
1: It was oh. peaceful,
0: like there wasn't like turmoil or nothing. And then one more happened. I I duck under. I said, "Oh man, God, if this is the way it's going to be, well, it's all up to you." So I'm okay with this. Like I know where I'm going to go. I'm yeah. okay with this. Uh, I still can't believe this is really how it's happening. Uh, yeah. And then my shorts flew down to my ankles, and I had to make a decision. What am I going to do? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I might die anyway, but do I want to die naked or with shorts? Yeah, right, right. I just I decided it was shorts.
1: Yeah, okay. And
0: came up, got one more little breath. Another one happened. I said, God, I wish you would save me. And I'll be doggone if that waterfall or the next waterfall I hit, this green arm stuck through the water and is just floating there. There was no body attached to it that I could see. I said, oh, my goodness, God, that is you. You're going to save me. Wow. I reached out and I grabbed a hold of that sucker with two hands Yeah. and I squeezed tight and that arm was slimy and slippery and slipped right through it. Oh man. And I thought, huh, that wasn't what I expected. And then that green arm snatched back and snatched me out of the water and picked me up. And it was a dad. Oh man. And he looked right at me and he says, how are you? Says, oh man. Trying. I, I got all this water in my lungs. I was well, I, I've been better. I've been better. Yeah. Said, was that fun? Well, <laughs> all things considered. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of funny. I said, Can I shoot my kids up there?
1: Somewhere? Oh my gosh. He had no idea that you were about to die.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I thought I was looking at the face of God. I'm like, no, this is a, this is a real dad. And he just said something so stupid that real dads would say. So got it. Yeah. <laughs> I scary. laid down there for about 30 minutes trying to get the water right. out of my lungs and yeah. get some air in and my family's stuck and they can't get to where I'm at. I'm like, I don't know how I'm gonna oh, get wow. anyway, but yeah, so I, I very much relate to the to the drowning story and having conversations wow. with God and surrendering, like you said. And it's so funny how your career and kind of life perspective changed to
1: Yeah, God's it's in control miraculous. and I'm gonna
0: trust him and believe in him. Miraculous. And the fear thing, we were talking about that earlier. Fear is kind of not believing God's going to do what God said he's going to do.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. Right. Like that, that for me is probably fear. And then also, you know, but there are so many different types of fear for me, you know, like fear of disappointment, fear of not fulfilling my potential, fear of, you know, all these things. And I would say that they could trace back to that, right? Like God not not believing God is who he said he was. Like it's all, it's all like fear is not from God, right? Like it's not, there's no coincidence that the phrase in the Bible that's uttered more than any other phrase is do not fear. I mean, there, that there's no coincidence to that because that, that is kind of the Genesis of how the enemy likes to attack you in every way, right? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, fear being alone fear, like all these fears that now they, we would, we'll label them differently, like anxiety, depression, you know, but it all probably is, you know, is substrated in, in that, that feeling of fear, um, and so that's why he warns us. Hey, do not fear. And this is why you do not fear. Right. So, and I would agree with you, you know,
0: in your, in your baseball career, you had problems with that You'd throw a bullpen yeah. that was lights out with a yeah. knuckleball.
1: Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I, you know, I had plenty of times when I thought, have I ever thrown a knuckleball before? Like I would get in these bullpens and it'd be like, I, like, how am I going to compete with what I just did? Like, there's no way I'm going to be. And then undoubtedly I would, I would spend moments doing that. And then you know, I would have to surrender to. It's going to be what it's going to be. I'm just going to go out there and and try to, you know, reduce every pitch to its separate commitment and go forward. And it would end up okay. You know, like w- I'd get through it. But it would. It was this constant, you know, song and dance of, you know, having to surrender. Like like things would manifest. God would teach me, and then I'd surrender. Right. And it didn't. It didn't go perfectly all the time. Right. Like I mean, right, there were plenty right. of times when I would surrender and. I'd be out in the third inning because I'd blown up, but what a great, and then there was an opportunity, right? There was an opportunity not to fear again, right? Like, and he kept giving me opportunities to cultivate the thing that he asked me not to do, do not fear, right? So he would put me in positions where I could choose that. I could choose not to fear and to really surrender and to trust and, you know, to find my value in other things and to know that I'm a child of the living God and not, uh, you know, not just a baseball player or someone that has to do this or has to do that. And it began, it began to manifest in something that like, I, I got the joy back of, Hey, you know, this is just what I get to do. It's not who I am. Right. And so that joy, you know, is what you saw when I got to pitch. Right. Like I just, I was so, I so enjoyed getting to do my craft because it wasn't all who I was. Right. I wasn't yeah. tied up. In
0: it. And you coach, uh, you coach your, your, your son now and yeah. You know, like, yeah. I got a couple teams I coach and I see the little girls have that fearful look when they're about to go do something. They're afraid, nervous, yeah. anxious. Yeah. Yeah, and I grab sure. a hold of them, and, you know, put my arm sure. on their shoulder and I say, hey, we've done a lot of practice. You've put in a lot of work. You've You've set yourself up to succeed in this situation. Yeah. So just go do what we've done. It's going to be just fine. The result's going to be the result. The result's going to be the result of the practice that we had coming up to it. You're going to do good. You got this. Yeah. And they exactly. just look at me and all right, coach, I got it. Yeah. And it changes the whole thing. So I try to catch them before they get in that fight or flight fear mode. I'm like, when they're up there in fear, there's nothing that good that's going to happen.
1: Oh yeah. They're going to press and make mistakes because of that, all of it that's true I think like with my with my 16 year old bunch you know I always try to tell them look the game of baseball and just like life in general academics relationship it's about how to manage failure right like you're going to fail it's okay I like like that the idea of people becoming uh or at least understanding that the only real tragedy and failure is if you don't learn from it right like that's the real tragedy and failure so how to manage failure is really one of the best attributes that I can teach any child um, or any kid that's trying to get better at something like I want, like, and I can tell you from experience, I can tell you just about every home run that I've ever given up in the major league, <laughs> but I not hardly recall the good things that happened. Like we, I don't celebrate well, but I can remember every failure I had. Right. Like we, we don't do a good job of that. So there's two things about that. One is like, if you fail, that's okay. Like, that's good in the sense that you can learn something from it. And so let's write it down. Like, let's, okay, so your strike percentage was 40%. Okay, well, there, there you go. Now, now you have something to attach that to, right? That's okay. We can get better from that. Like, so if you learn from those things, you know, and it could be anything, then you can apply it in your bullpens in between outings. You can work on it on the side. You can get a chance to do it again next to outing. And so there's, there's really nothing to fear about the failure. Because you're going to learn from it ultimately. And if you do well, you know, there's still, let's celebrate that. So let's teach you how to celebrate well. Because if you're constantly, you know, picking apart your own performance because of how well you do or don't do, then ultimately that's going to become who you are. That's going to become your identity. But if you're able to celebrate too, then you can hold both uh, in a real mature way. Um, And so teaching kids how to celebrate well. Whether that's taking a day just to reflect and meditate on their favorite pitches of that outing or the fact that they hit an opposite field double and drove in two runs, like, let's relive that. <clears throat> let's go out and have a steak or let's go let's go celebrate this thing that you did. Like So being able to hold both, like that's real spiritual maturity, right? Like being able to hold what's broken about the world and what's great about the world and really take steps forward with both. And that's what we try to teach our kids, uh you know, on our teams, or you know how do you do that what what equipment can we give you to help you hold both well? um And that's a real trick, man that's real it's difficult to do that, and you can't do it apart from scripture. That's what I have found. like there is no way to teach somebody to do that well. Now you might get it right a couple of times, but ultimately you're going to fall back to that human part of validation and who you do who you are and what you are is your performance. Um, you're going to fall back into that unless you look through it, a spiritual lens there's, that's the only way. And, um, that's, that's what we try to teach, you know, and those are, those are the guys that have the most success at the major league level. I'm not saying they're all believers, but they all understand conceptually that there's something greater than themselves, right? Like they do. Um, It's not who they are. Like, ultimately, they they have to get to that spot or they'll fall into addiction. They'll fall into medicating and with pornography with, you know, they'll find some way to escape the pain of not being that thing they think they should be.
0: Right, right. Yes,
1: that's that's hard. That's really hard for a man. Um, And so my gift, hopefully, to my kids that I coach is to help them identify that piece and, and the toxicity around that. And here's the healthy way to do it.
0: You've got some, uh, the 16 year olds, so they're through puberty or going through puberty and all that. You said there's a distinct difference between before puberty and after, especially yeah. being a coach and figuring that out. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, I mean, especially with boys now, um, I, I can sp- I didn't coach my girls, right. They were, okay. they played sports that I would work with them and, um, they receive information from a father much differently than a son does. And so I would say, um, with, m- with my son, um, and c- trying to coach my son, um, it, it does. it's not helpful to bring up the things that I did well. See, can't you do this? This is how I did it, right? Like, I fell into that trap for a minute, you know? Um, I think if you understand that every, every boy that's gone through puberty, it starts to try to identify what is it to be a man. They're asking one singular question, and it's super important. And that question is, do I have what it takes? Yes do I have what it takes? Like they're going to ask it in a million different ways with their behavior, with their words, with the way they react, with how emotional they are. They're going to respond to that question um, that they're asking subconsciously all the time. Do I have what it takes? I see my dad do this, or I see this man who's this, my friend's father do this. Do I have what it takes to do that? Do I have what it takes to be a dad, to earn money, to pay for a family, to work hard, to you know, make good decisions to manage finances to like, do I have what it takes? That's the question that all these kids are asking. And so our job as my job as a coach with my son is to help him understand that he does not have what it takes. And it sounds count. It's counterintuitive, right? But the gift in that is I don't have what it takes and I need Jesus to help me. And so if, if I can give him that, if I can give him that, then I've given him humility. I've given him dependence on God. I've given him um turning to, like, I want him to turn to scripture and not to the world, to the culture, to find out answers to things. I give him that gift. If I say to him, look, I'm still asking that question, Eli. Eli, I'm still asking the question, do I have what it takes? Um, And the, the answer is I don't. And I need help every day. I need help in the form of other men and good relationship. I need help in the form of my relationship with a living God. I need helping and Christian companionship with your mom. I need like all this. I need help. I I do not have what it takes. I'm not meant to have what it takes even more, right? I'm not, I'm not built like that. I'm built with this thing in me that calls out for God. Um, And only through that relationship will I ever have what it takes. And so if I can give him that gift, that's the, that's the key, man, That's the, that's what I have seen be the most transforming thing on this side of the curtain is helping boys identify the fact that it's okay that you're asking that question. And the answer is no, you don't have what it takes.
0: Mm. That's a great answer. I love that. I've heard so many different men talk about that question and especially for boys, but girls have it too. You know, my daughter says, Hey, let's go try out for this team. And they're the best select team in the, in the area, in the region. And I said, you know, what if you don't make it? And she says, it's not about making the team. It's more about figuring out where I stack up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Constantly measuring ourselves against that right, like we are, um, and it's it's really really hard. And for boys in particular, it's so competitive. Like it's in us, it's in you know, it's innate that we are wanting to be alpha and we're wanting to you know we're wanting to compete and be better and do this. And I'm looking to my right and left, and you know, teaching kids that you know God's got a specific plan for your life that's very unique, and that's how much He loves you. And it might be in baseball, it might not, but to buy into that, that's a real that's a real hard thing to help a, a child understand is the thing that they love to do. That's it might like there's less than 0.001% of people that ever walk the planet that are professional athletes. I mean, let's be real about it. Right. So if a kid has that aspiration, that's great. You don't stomp on that, but helping them understand that they're more than that, that's the key. Right. And so, um, you know, that question again, like addressing that question, in a godly way is the thing that i have found is most transforming for 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 people to to get a hold of um you know the fact that you know you you have to have there's a spiritual component to this that has to be present for you to really understand that your value is not in what you do you you you're 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 not built that way you're not you're not built for that you're built for this right and you get to tell them what this is you know
0: And it sounded like you made a mistake or two along the way coaching your son that you had to go back and apologize for.
1: Oh, yeah, man. And still do. I mean, I still get so competitive on the bench. Sometimes I'm thinking, you know, I'm constantly (laughs) asking God in the moment, like, man, God, give me patience here. Like, how do you want me to address this? How you? Like, I'm asking, like verbally, like out loud. (laughs) I'm saying I I need help because I'm about to blow a gasket here, right? Like I got to, I need a a way to address this. Uh,
0: There's been a few times. Yeah. (laughs) And
1: I found that with my son in particular, like he receives information from me by me coaching somebody else. So if I want to tell him something directly, I don't tell it to him directly. Most of the time, most of the time I'll coach the kid next to him and he'll take it in. He'll receive it. He'll, he'll hear it. If I talk directly to him, dad doesn't know what he's talking about. Like dad doesn't know, right? Like, I can't receive, I'm better than dad. Like that, that measurement is going off. Like, do I have what it takes? If he's telling me that I'm inadequate in some way, then that means I don't have what it takes, right? Like that's his, that's how teenagers process information, right? The shame, they're shame bound Mm -hmm. by nature. Like the enemy is, that's part of the the dichotomy of man is that we're shame bound, right? Like, so we can, through, through scripture and a relationship with Christ, we can understand that, that, that we don't have to, we can live in the freedom of not being ashamed like those are the most healthy kids and the most healthy people around or they don't they take in information negatively that and process it positively right like so if i say to you hey man you need to cover first base on a ball to the left side you didn't do that right there right like that's that's just data they t- but they take it in as i'm inadequate i didn't do it right yes. they take in the shame of that and they feel less and so my goal is to how how do i communicate in a way where they don't feel shamed but they feel empowered to do it right the next time well, if with my own son, the, the dynamic is completely different. If I tell that to uh, a te- a teammate of his, he'll take it in and I'll say, yeah, I get that. Okay. I made a mistake. Yeah. I should have done that better. If I tell it to my son, he thinks I- I'm inadequate. So a lot of times I'll I'll tell it to the kid next to him or I'll tell it to him as a group. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. That has proven to be helpful for me. Yeah. Um, And, but there are certain times like in pitching where I really can see, I I can say to him, like, you can, you can trust me. Like if you do this, you will become better. And here's why, because I've fallen down a lot, like sharing with my son, my failures has been a real bonus too. like, he learns much more from me sharing about, you know, giving up home runs to Giancarlo Stanton or, (laughs) you know, Judge, and he has from me throwing a one hitter because when he, when I tell him I've thrown, you know, I won the Cy Young or whatever else that doesn't like. He he may never be able to do that, right? right. Like he doesn't he, like he thinks I've got to do that to be better than you, you know. And that's how we're wired because we're constantly in this, especially in our culture now, right? Like because we've got Instagram and TikTok and Snapchat, and we're constantly seeing Twitter, and we're, you know, this guy's being committed to this college, why or not? Why you know? It's it's you're fighting against that all the time, that and so
0: comparison thing
1: all oh, the time. It's, it's in our culture. It's so prevalent today. And that's, that's, you know, it's no, it's no, I I read an article the other day that said, um, you know, anxiety and depression have gone up by a factor of, you know, 7,000%, whatever it was, some ridiculous percentage since X year. And that X year was the advent of Instagram.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: Is that incredible? Yeah. So they did the research to trace it back to the year that Instagram was introduced. I saw
0: something about relationship and something called P H U B B I N G where spouses will turn to their phone and turn away from their spouse. Like we're trying to have a conversation and then they'll grab the phone and I'm like, Holy cow, they got a term for it. And apparently it's been around for years.
1: Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, I thought I found that really interesting. So as parents, you know, and fathers, like we're constantly fighting, pushing back against that too. So setting good, clear boundaries around screen time and phone use. I think that's a real relevant thing in our culture and teaching kids, you know, what God says about comparison and what God says about who you are is is of the utmost importance.
0: Yeah. So what you said with uh, coaching your son, we can use that in parenting also, like pay attention to how you can deliver messages that make sense, uh, sharing vulnerably from our failures, things that we'd like other people yeah. to learn from instead of our successes all the time. Oh, and I'll
1: tell you something else just to interrupt you because I'll forget. Please do. Uh, The thing too, that just kind of popped into my spirit that, you know, is a failure of mine with my own son is so many times uh, he will, he will not hear what I say because of the tone in which I say it. So he, he won't um, I'll say that the most true and accurate and relevant thing, but I'll say it with uh, a voice inflection. that's. Harsh and he won't hear it. But if I talk to him just normally, like another I would talk to another grown up in conversation, he has a a much better chance of soaking it in or taking it. And so um I have realized that um I a lot of kids don't hear what you say because the tone they hear your tone, not your words. And and that's important to realize too. I think the delivery talking about methods of delivery for kids, especially your, your teenage sons or daughters, and especially with my daughters, because my daughters do not want to disappoint their dad. And so, you know, I can bring them to tears just by raising my voice this much, right? Like, I mean, that's, that's how they're wired. And so I've got to be real careful with that. And I found with Eli, my son and, and my younger son, Bantu, who's 12 and starting to step into puberty. If I raise my voice, but say something really accurate and true, they're not going to hear it like they they would if I just talked to them in a real, you know, kind way. Um, and that's where I've fallen down a lot, admittedly. You know, like I, I'm passionate about pitching because I've just poured so much of my time, energy, and effort into it. So sometimes I'll, I'll have to say, "Hey, man, I'm so sorry that I did that." <laughs> I'm just, I'm passionate about what I do. It's what I did for a living. So I'm sorry. That's why I, I, I probably raised my voice. But this is what I want you to see. And Right, and I'll I'll apologize, and then I'll get to my point, and they'll they'll take it in, they'll take it in, and, and these kids that I coach at the high school level, you know, they don't they don't care what I say until they know I care. Period. Yes, yes. Right? So if I really care about them as human beings, they're much more likely to take the information that I'm giving them in and apply it. Uh, But they got to know I care first, and to to care, you got to spend time and be genuine and be open with your own stuff and you know, that's, that's something you got to learn to do. And it's hard.
0: Let's talk with Mark Hancock. He started trail life. Uh, he was one of the, one of the guys that started trail life He's now in, in charge of it. And he's like, kids ask who's in charge. Like when they show up to something, who's in charge Yeah, yeah. and they say, sense. okay, now that, now that we know he's in charge or she's in charge, whoever's in charge, do they care? And do they care about me? So yes, absolutely. Yeah. That's a and then thing. he's like when boys rally around they're like all right what, what's our mission what are we doing what are we trying to yeah. accomplish like let's go yeah Now that we know who's leading we know they care and they care about me like I'm all in let's go when I hear you speak I'm like all right what are we doing <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm ready to follow like what are we doing who are we who are we taking like let's let's go we're, we're ready yeah. Yeah. yeah you've just got those leadership qualities it's awesome to uh-huh. hear. I know something important to you. Uh, Sound of Freedom is a big movie that's out there right now. Yeah. Over a hundred million at the box office. And I think they were hoping to do, you know, if we could do 20, that'd be a great success. And, you know, yeah. people vote with their dollars and man, have they voted with their dollars on this one. And guys, if you haven't heard of the movie, I haven't seen it yet because I'm afraid to go see it.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and that's a, that's a valid fear. I mean, because it will open your eyes to things that are ongoing and are, our- Culture and when, community. when
0: i say fear i don't mean fear i mean like i know i'm gonna see some things yeah that uh are gonna well up emotion in me and i know we're yeah. gonna change me as a person and that's that's the it's like a, a cautious cautious might be the better word like i need to be ready for this
1: yeah and um uh, yeah i think th- i would i would encourage you to just you know pray before you go right like I think that's good to do with anything you're stepping into, but a movie like that too. And there's this, you know, this thing you'll come out to and you'll feel overwhelmed. You'll feel overwhelmed because a lot of people don't understand um, that uh, kind of subculture that's going on of of human trafficking. Um, um, But it's something that's real passionate to me for me, because I suffered sexual trauma when I was young. And so when I got uh, healthy, I wanted to really give back in that space. And so I worked with uh, my trafficking, anti-human trafficking organization out of Mumbai, India, which is one of the highest trafficked places mm. in the world. From an international standpoint, they get people from Nepal and they bring them in and they th- they, they'll they they go into these communities where they, they'll they say, hey, we want to recruit your, your daughter to come work clean in hotels and send back money to you. And to these tribes who aren't even social security numbers, mind you, like they're ghosts, Um, they can't track them, but they, they think that they're going to be able to send money back. They'll recruit them to do that. And then they'll put them in these brothels and just abuse them and abuse them and abuse them and break them and break them and break them. And And I've seen that firsthand. And so I went over there and worked with that organization for quite some time. And then when I, when I quit playing baseball in 2017, I felt like God was calling me into, um, getting involved at, um, in my own neighborhood, like saying to me, hey man, this is a problem internationally, but I've got something for you here locally. I think you should be involved in your own community. And not two days later, I'm not kidding you, two days later, a woman showed up at my door, knowing the work I had done with the Bombay Teen Challenge, which is the the organization I worked with, um, showed up at my door and she was starting a 5013 C called NAHT Coalition, which is the Nashville Anti-Human Trafficking Coalition. It's, <laughs> <laughs> but not only did God put that in my heart, but he, he, he gave me immediately somebody and I, I, you know, I was like, oh my gosh, I could not have been punched in the face any harder. Right. So I said, sure, I'll be on the board of directors for, I'll help you with what I know and give what I got. And so that's what I do now with a lot of my spare time is work in that space. But to your point, uh, you know it's a hard thing to talk about. It's kind of a white elephant in the room with a lot of people. You know we can talk about our ad- alcohol addiction and we can talk about pornography and we can talk about these things as men. But the human trafficking space has always been that thing that has felt like taboo to talk about. And so you don't hear a lot of a lot of traction around it. This movie is is undoing that in a lot of ways, and it is hard to hear and understand that this is a real thing. It's not some uh, made up thing to try to provoke any kind of emotion. It is a real thing. And the emotion that you feel is raw and real because you should respond like that to a movie like this. Um, and here locally, like in my own community, I live, uh, in the middle of very affluent neighborhoods and it's going on to a degree that would be, uh, mind blowing to you, even in the most affluent neighborhoods through social media and other ways. And so we've been, I've been a part of probably 60 rescues uh, in my own community over the last four years, five Mm. years. And so, and I'm talking about rescues where, you know, uh, teenage girls have been trafficked out of the homes of their uncles who owe debts to businessmen who they work with. Um, You know, inevitably they're all hooked on some kind of drug so that they're dependent. And then we, we are able to go in and, rescue them and help put them on a path of rehabilitation. But it's all a Christ centered organization, because in my, my opinion, that's the only sustaining thing to help people not go back to that life. Um, that's one of the things I saw internationally. That was not the biggest piece in the organization I worked with internationally, that Christ component. And here locally, that's, that, that is the, the thing that we help educate people with curriculum around that have come out of that world That help them sustain a life that is uh, different. Because if you turn away from something so dark and evil, you better have something equally as as light, filled with light and hope and love uh, to turn to. If you don't, you will inevitably go back. It's it's like proven. You know the data supports that. So you better give them something that's better to offer them. And and most of these women, you know, that do return, they return because somehow over time they have felt like they have become important. Oh, wow. In some way. Right. Yeah. It's really, it's really toxic and, and horrible. Uh, but anyway uh, that's one of the things that I do. And, and a lot of it was because of my story early on in my life, um, you know, just knowing a little bit about the wounds that are around sexual trauma. Um, you know, I have a real heart for that space.
0: Yeah, you you had a few different instances of different things when you're you're growing up, and it's hard to think. Wow, God will use that for the good. And
1: oh man, yeah, I mean that's a that's a whole different deep question, right? But you know, when I when you're an eight year old boy and you're being yeah. sexually, abused, you know, it's it's a whole different. It's hard to think through that lens, right? But uh, I will say that my experience, my personal experience, has been that, um, you know, that they're they're what what the enemy meant for harm and evil, God has changed into something to his glory. And that's a real miracle, right? Like I, you know, I, I, I see God in so many different ways in my life and I'm so thankful for it. And that's one of the ways is that what God means, for, I mean, what the enemy means for death and destruction and evil, God turns to, to beauty and goodness and hope and love. And, you know, all the things that you hope for in this world, this side of eternity,
0: so, say we watch that movie, Sound of Freedom, or mm-hmm. we say this human trafficking thing, really? Mm-hmm. Huh. All right. So, it is a big thing. Uh, you know, I'm in St. Louis, so we hear about it more often. Um, you yeah. Know, we're on a, a Central Highway, and apparently it's a big thing here. And um, there's some organizations here. But, guys that are listening, you know, you hear about horrific stories. Yeah. You think, what can we do? What can we do? Guys like to take action. so is there anything you can think of?
1: Well, no, I appreciate that and that is um, that is a good question. You know, I think getting involved um, from a volunteer standpoint in a local organization that you have vetted and believe in uh, is important. Like this space needs more male voices. That's a while I mean Cavizel Cavizel's portrayal has brought a lot of awareness. I think I think not brushing it under the rug when you do hear it in public forums is important like to to keep perpetuating the awareness around the fact that this is destroying children and lives. And, you know, the, the, the nuclear fallout from this goes well beyond the initial abduction. And I mean, it is, it's nuclear. And so just, getting on your knees and praying for direction, how you can help us giving like financially. Like, I know that's, uh, that's something as men that we can feel value in getting to do is give some of our resources to help, to help educate, promote awareness, um, you know, stop all the, all the organizations that you can get involved with that will help do that treat, um, you know, rehabilitate like these women who have been and men that have been pulled out of that industry and it is an industry i mean it is a mm-hmm. money make industry and it's run all over the world by different organizations people um you know as it's just sick and so under understanding kind of what you're up against is important too and i think that the greatest trick of the devil ever was convincing people he didn't exist right like so yeah. this is a real thing and he's working in the shadows to try to help people you know you see a lot of uh public Uh, publicly in articles and I don't get political with with things much, but you do see things trying to discredit the movie a lot of ways. um, And that's just the enemy at work trying to convince people that he's not there really. Right. I mean, it's brilliant. You know, the two greatest strategies are to divide and conquer like in marriage, Yeah, divide so that he can get at you and, and convincing people that he's not real. Those two things, those are his best arrows, those two things. And so if we can, help push back against that. And we're doing some good.
0: When you're hearing R.A. say that, uh, guys, if you've never checked out a book called Screw Tape Letters, it's incredible.
1: Yeah. see C.S. Lewis. It's a great book. Unbelievable.
0: Um, so that's yeah. showing the tools that the devil uses and how he trains his, you know, uh, minions or whatever you want to call it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, that's, that's it. They're his demons.
0: His, yeah. His
1: disciples, You know, like they, they. he's got an army too. Right. Like, I mean, that's scriptural. And so we got to just know what we're up against and what fight kind of fight we're in and let that kind of give it be a call to arms. Um, I get shivers
0: of, even mentioned it and thinking about that book.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's it's it was it was brilliant. It was brilliant for sure.
0: Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, have, you, yeah. have you got any other things you want to share? And then I always ask guys for a challenge also. So if you want to throw something out that men can do from week to week, it could be something simple or it could be something a little bit harder.
1: Well, you know, I think the hardship, the perpetual hardship for me is, is, and it was, it would be the challenge that I would leave to anybody listening, um, and, a, and a and a rechallenge to myself uh, too. Is just, I don't know if there's a better attribute for a human being than being self-aware, and both both good and bad. Like so, like writing the things that you're good at down, and writing the things that you're bad at down, and 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 understanding really who you are as a human being. Goes a long way in you fixing the things that you're not good at and augmenting the things that you are good at. And so I think putting to paper that, that's my challenge.
0: That's an awesome challenge.
1: Take 30 minutes this week and spend time just writing down the things that you think you do well and the things that you could get much better at in relationship and your vocation. It could be things like, you know, I could be a harder worker. I could be less lazy. I could be, I'm thinking this is. I'm, I'm talking about my own stuff. I could use I, I could use kinder words to my wife. I could, you know, whatever it is. You know, I could get in the word thirty minutes more a week. I could get in be a part. Of, like there are all kinds of things that if you really are honest about yourself, that you can find. And then on the good side, like you know, write the things that you're good at. Like. Being tenderhearted, being vulnerable, uh, being genuine, um, being lo- being loving to your to your family, get, investing time, investing resources in them, investing you know caring for your family, and the, like there are, that list is over here. The bad, like and just pray on it, right? Like pray that God would help you see the things that you don't do well because He wants you to be a complete human being through Christ, and He wants to call you into a more Christ like behavior and. If you don't know what that looks like, there's no way you can become it. And so putting it on paper helps you see what you can do better. And it's about growth, this side of the curtain, man. Like, I mean, God calls to cultivate us all the time. And that's a a life worth living. It's a life that's super rich. Um, And it's something that I really crave and desire. And I would hope that for other men too. So that would be my challenge. You know, self-awareness, try to to get better at being self-aware.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So a few things that, that you talked about and I omitted or didn't solidify letting it go. And that knuckleball was a big metaphor for just letting it go.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was, that pitch is so unique in the sense that I can control what I can control. Right. So one of the things I tell my kids, that's a little bit, probably a deeper answer than you're after, but on one side of the column, you've got these boxes that you can check that you can control how hard you work, how you listen, you know, um, the way you treat people, like all these boxes on the left side that, that are things that you can control. You, you, you have a say, and then over here on the other side are things that you can't control. Mm-hmm. Somebody makes an error in the field, what somebody thinks about you sometimes, um, you know, an accident, whatever it is over here. And you'll start to find that the more boxes that you check over here that you can control, the more you can influence the things that you don't think that you can control, which is a real neat thing to see. Like if I work hard, if I'm not lazy, if I'm kind hearted, if I'm productive, if I like, if I'm in those things that I can control, then all of a sudden I'll start to influence the, the thing I don't think I control, what people think of me, my reputation sometimes, like rumors, uh, like all these things, you'll start to see an overlap, which is really mind blowing to people. So um, letting go is about surrendering to the things that you can't control and really, con- you know, working hard at the things that you can't control. And there's a real peace. And me being, me letting go of a knuckleball, knowing that I have checked all of these boxes. I've worked hard in between outings. I've gotten my work in. I've studied the weaknesses of the opposing team. I've mechanically been sound. I've had the right thought life, you know, as far as this pitch, Uh, I can control those things. And then when I let go, there's a real freedom to that, like a real freedom to, okay, whatever it is, it is. And now what do I do next? Well, I Build my position well. I encourage my teammate. I make the next pitch. I can, you know, there's all those things too. So letting go is about really understanding what you do well. I mean, what you can control and the things that you can.
0: That is fantastic. I'm glad we added that. And then yeah. after the Missouri River almost drowning, you shifted to living your life well every five minutes.
1: Yes. Yes. So there's this real devotion. On my part, like to try to live more micro and less macro. I mean, macro is great. Like God calls us to have vision and dreams and hopes, but if I can reduce, for instance, in pitching, I'll give you an illustration. If I throw a hundred pitches in a game, um, that that is for me one hundred separate commitments throughout the game. So I can't get to the ninth inning unless I've gotten the first pitch right, right? Like so, in my mind, I think. How can I make this pitch the very best pitch it can be? That's over. Here's the second pitch. How can I commit to making this pitch? So I do that 100 times in a game. Um, that's the real discipline of being a pro, right? Like that's the, of being an artist, really. So my hope was always, how can I be, go from being a survivor at my craft to being a workman and then ultimately to being an artist? You know, like I want to be an artist with that pitch. And to be an artist, I've got to reduce my outing to 100 singular commitments. Same thing in relationships. Like, how can I invest in this time with you so that you understand that you are the most important thing in this moment, right? Like I'm giving that as a gift and I'm receiving from you that same gift. And so if I can commit to this time with you wholeheartedly, genuinely, authentically, then I can go on with my day knowing that I was who I needed to be. And if I can do that over and over again and reduce my life down to these micro commitments, and and then you'll find that the macro ends up being much bigger than you could have ever dreamed of without taking care of the micro. Does that make sense?
0: That absolutely makes sense. And the two coexist really, really well.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they do. They do. Because and 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 really well in the sense that, you know, the dreams and hopes and visions that you I never I never could have dreamed of winning a Cy Young. I, I could have never dreamed of leading the league in strikeouts over Clayton Kershaw and Steven Strasburg and all these big I could have never dreamed of that. Right. Right. But I did it. And the only way I was able to do something like that was by concentrating on the moment that was in front of me. And ultimately, when you carry that over into your everyday life with your relationships and uh, and the things that you do with your children and your wife, it's really about how do I live the next five minutes well, right? How do I reduce my 24-hour day? Or let's say you're awake for 12 hours or 13 hours, you know, or 14 hours and you're sleeping for whatever the difference is, how do I reduce those 14 hours to five minute increments where I really get to like, how do I wash this dish? Well, that I'm about to, I'm I'm about to leave here and go wash the dishes. How do I do <laughs> that well and get that done efficiently while my wife and children are out of town or my wife and girls are out of town? How do I do that well so that I can get on with my day and, and be who I need to be? So if you can kind of get to that headspace, uh, you'll see a lot of differences occur in your life that you, that you never thought possible really from uh, in a map, in a macro level, at a macro level. Um, does that make sense? That
0: ab- no, That absolutely, absolutely makes sense. And then I love how we can tie it into Cy Young Award winner. And yes, I do dishes.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's the truth of it. I've got a forty-acre farm. After dishes, I've got to go mow the grass, and then I've got to take a, uh, one of my kids to football. Like they're like I know my list. And so how do I how do I execute my list well and be real devoted to, to trying to do it the best I can and be? I, that's one of the, the things I really appreciate about the Japanese culture. Like it, it seems like. Oh yeah traditionally they're they're so devoted. I have so many uh Was friends. it
0: was it Ichiro that told you that?
1: Ich Ichiro, uh, but more than Ichiro, watching Ichiro work, yes. But his translator, who is one of my really good friends that we still we still contact and talk about God a lot together. His name is Ken Barron. And Ken Barron uh was his translator, uh, who was a Japanese American guy, spent some time in the military believer. We got to spend some real quality time together and just talking about kind of their perspective especially traditionally traditionally you know they're 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 singularly devoted to getting the details right you know this this there's this word in the japanese language uh called kaizen and kaizen is simply um like this never-ending search for becoming better right like this this constant perpetual how can i do this better how can i do this better like Renewing, Ren- there's this renewal to that word, right? Like, how can I renew for renew for better? Is really the way that it's translated, renew for better. And so, how can I constantly do that over and over again? Like, I really appreciate about that that culture, that that concept, um and to have tried to kind of do it in some of the things that I do around here. I have a forty-acre farm, and we have you know horses and chickens, and we grow some of our own food. And so, you know, doing that well is fun for me, and trying to do that well at least. Uh, it's fun for me.
0: That's fantastic. Well, thank you so, so much. Didn't expect yeah. to talk about Ichiro or his translator either.
1: Um. Yeah, he's awesome. Ken, Ken Barron, still talk to him today.
0: That's great. Well, thank you genuinely for myself. And then also from all the guys that are going to listen to this, uh, we're going to chop it into two parts and allow guys sure. to digest this one. There's so many great things in this one. And tons and tons of notes i i just can't thank you enough for how generous you've been
1: oh my pleasure i'm glad we got to find time to do it um thank you for
0: having me you're welcome you're welcome all right guys check out uh check out the next episode follow through on the challenge uh write down things become more self-aware write down what you're good at and things that you, you could get better at some areas that that you're not so skillful at, uh, by having that self-awareness, it'll help you out quite a bit in life and help you make better decisions about how to spend your time and what to do and who to, who to be around and where to donate your time. Mm-hmm. Doesn't help if, uh, if you can't swing a hammer volunteering to be a carpenter.
1: <laughs> good point. You got a good point. The, uh, the other caveat to that too, is like, you know, once you get that list made, uh, you know, having relationships that you can be vulnerable with letting people in to see your list and hold you accountable to some of that stuff. We all need it. And so there's a couple of men that like, I'll, I'll share, Hey man, I need to be a better husband and this is how I can do it. Will you please hold me accountable? If you see it out of place, like call me out on it. If you see me doing it well, really encourage me with it. Whether it's opening the door for my wife or, you know, talking sweetly about her in public or, you know, treating somebody with whatever it is, you know, like having a couple of men in your life or even one uh, to help, call you to the mat on some things and giving them permission to do that will even elevate that so mm. if the if the initial challenge is be self-aware and do that on your own and write it down to make it permanent and so that you can see it and you know inviting somebody into that space that's the next step um and helping execute the things that you want to really grow into
0: mm. thank you for adding that that gem right there that was awesome
1: yeah no problem appreciate you having me
0: Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. My pleasure. And uh, look forward to you guys listening to the next episode and we'll catch you later. All right, guys, what did you think of those couple episodes? If you didn't listen to part one, go back and check that one out. So I love, love, love his analogy for the knuckleball to just let it go. So there's all those things we can control. So we can have our checklist to see where we're at in life, how we're doing certain processes However, after we do the things we can control, that's the stuff we got to let go. We can't control somebody else's reaction. We can't control what happens when the knuckleball leaves our fingers and we just don't know where it's going to go. But we can control ourselves. We can control our emotions. We can certainly pray. Prayer makes a difference. So uh, best teammate in the world's God. So ask God for some help on some things or pray for other people. You know, often I pray for God to help soften people's heart, grow closer to Him. Uh, it'll make a difference for them uh, once that happens. So, you may have heard Ra talk about Sound of Freedom and how that is just something he's super passionate about helping uh, sex trafficking victims get out of uh, being sex trafficked and rescuing them. So. I was trying to think of something that, that we could do. And his, his suggestion was just get involved locally. So that may be a little bit harder for some people to do. You you guys might be looking for an easy button right now. So here's your easy button. I got a website link for you. It is runsignup.com slash TCH. So runsignup.com slash TCH. TCH stands for the covering house. What the covering house does is they provide refuge and restoration using the least restrictive environment for sexually exploited and trafficked children, teens, and teens. They provide safety, dignity, and freedom using top-level staffing and oversight so the Covering House, they offer several pathways for victims of sex trafficking to begin their journey to find refuge and restoration. The main people are are 13 to 17-year-old girls, so such a big deal, and this is a simple way. If you go to com slash TCH, you can donate, you can jump into the... uh Twenty-four thousand nine hundred one mile challenge. Uh, they're trying to re- they're trying to uh, run, bike, swim, log your miles type deal, and uh, they're trying to get that twenty-four thousand nine hundred one miles, which would be circling the globe. Last year they got about twenty-three thousand miles, so they missed the mark. But they're tr- they're going for twenty-four thousand nine hundred one. If they do, they've got somebody that'll donate twenty-five thousand dollars to the cause. So far they've raised, uh, over $74,000 on their way overall to a $200,000 goal. So guys, if you want to pitch in, you can donate 30 bucks, you can log some miles, but whatever you can do, this could be your easy button to do something kind of cool to help, uh, help the exploited. Um, if this isn't it for you, uh, I encourage you to do something to help those being sexually exploited, uh, if you checked out Sound of Freedom, you'd know it's such a bigger issue than most people are aware of. So, uh, guys, thanks so much for listening. Appreciate you guys sharing the show with your friends, family, people that you care about, eh, people that you don't even know. But somebody needs a community like this and needs uh, needs to hear this. So, pray you guys have a great week, and I pray that you're lights to those around you, and people come to you and start looking for some direction and how to. Grow closer to Christ. God bless you guys. Catch you later. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. Thank you guys for being a light. Shine that light out and let others see it. With you guys part of this community, it helps me be accountable to you guys, helps me be accountable to myself